you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And we're going to look at one verse. You know that's not true, but we are going to look at one verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're speaking of Moses here in this, in this verse. This is the uh, chapter of faith. Um, by faith, all of these people did wonderful things. And it's interesting that they're commended for their faith in something that was not them. They had faith in God. So it's God who gets the glory, but we who get the commendation. This is verse 28. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So, if you're going to preach one verse, this is a verse that you could certainly preach. Moses was commended. Because through faith, he did two things, and those two things had an effect. So it says that he kept the Passover, he ate the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood. He sprinkled the blood. So his faith did things, and those things that he did had an effect, lest that, he, that, he, that destroyed the firstborn should touch it. So we're going to be talking about the Passover. The Passover is where God passed over his people. They were in the middle of a country that was being judged. And they endured the judgment, but God did not touch them. He passed over them. And this was a festival, it said, that we saw in the reading today, that would be year after year throughout all generations that God's people was to remember the fact that they were passed over, that instead of being judged as others were judged, they were not judged. And it had not to do with them being guilty or innocent. They were simply spared as a result of the faith that, that Moses had, that he sprinkled the blood lest the, those who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So, I need to kind of mention again and again and again and again that the entire context of the Old Testament, these events that actually happened, these people who actually lived, is a context for us. What has been done in this world by Jesus Christ and the effects that it has on God's people, the effects of of what Jesus Christ has done, that Jesus Christ allowed us to be passed over, is to be commended or is to be commemorated every moment in our lives, that we're to remember that we were slaves in Egypt and that we were, that all of us were slimed with the same judgment and that God, instead of judging us, had mercy on us through Jesus. That is to be something that we rejoice, that we remember, that we commemorate, that we, that we celebrate. But that celebration has to be in knowledge. To celebrate something, you have to have knowledge of it. You have to understanding. You enjoy it more when you know what it is that you're talking about. When you know that you were truly a slave in Egypt and what that meant, and that that Egypt was, was judged, but that we escaped, 
makes you then value why that happened. And when we see that it's all about Jesus, that this gospel of God's is to promote his son in the earth, that he will exalt his son to the highest place. Now, that's interesting because Jesus was always in highest place. Jesus was as high as could ever be. But there is something that even elevates Jesus Christ. And that is when simple people realize that without Jesus Christ, there is nothing for me. That in some ways gives Jesus more glory. And God, in his infinite wisdom and infinite power, there's nothing that God could never do. Anything that God pleases, he does. And he knew that to exalt his son even higher than to be the eternal son of God was to make him savior of us and that we are to commemorate and remember forever what he did. So this story, this account of the Passover is going to be very much like us. We are going to have similarities in this. So we have to realize that this Passover was the the absolute center of Jewish life. It was the very first festival in the year that was celebrated. And we're going to see in this passage that the calendar was changed. As soon as they were delivered, the calendar started over in the middle of a year, and God said, today will be the first day of the year. And they completely reshuffled the year so that that first day was the day they were delivered. And they will always remember it upon the very first day of the year that God delivered them, and that was the Passover. That is why, if you've ever seen the Jewish year, which right now is in the 5500s or something like this, always starts in the spring. Their, their year starts in the spring. It doesn't start like the rest of the world in January. All of us agree that this is now the year 2022, and that in 2023, on January 1st, every country in the world accepts that this is now this year, except for the Jewish people who start their year upon the Passover because God said that's when you begin. When you are delivered, that's when your life began. That's when your year began. And that's where all context comes back to your deliverance, and we're going to see that. In some ways, this idea of commemorating the Passover is unusual in that Moses was commended because when this was written, the book of Hebrews was written after Christ had died and and ascended. And if you take that time from the first day, the first Passover in Moses' day to the time that this was first preached, this sermon was preached, you would have had 1,500 Passovers year upon year upon year, and tens and hundreds of thousands of lambs would have been killed. And the the most striking, awful thing was that Jesus was taken down from the cross early on that Friday because it was the preparation day for the Passover. The Passover started at sundown on that Friday. And if Jesus was still on the cross, nobody could touch a dead body and be able to take of the Passover. So in the most amazing way, the people who killed Christ, in order to be qualified to celebrate the Passover, had to make sure that the people on the cross were dead. And they, cut, they, they took a hammer and they broke the legs of, the, of the, the two people on both sides of Jesus. 
And when they got to Jesus, they were surprised. He was dead already. How in the world was he dead already? When, and it, takes, it would take days to suffocate from a, from a crucifixion as you, were, as you were totally slowly expiring. But Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay down my life and I raise myself up. That Jesus raised himself from the dead is astonishing. And that Jesus put himself and gave his spirit to God was astonishing. So he had to die fast in their opinion so that they could all be qualified to eat of the Passover. Now, to think about that, these people ate of the Passover with no faith. But Moses was commended because he kept the Passover by faith. To keep the Passover by faith is, is the issue. It's not to keep the Passover. It's not to remember what Christ did. It's to remember what Christ did with faith. That's what Moses was commended for. So as we look upon, we have to say, okay, well, what is faith? If, if it's a difference between understand, keeping a Passover and keeping a Passover, there's a million people that would scratch their heads and say, so what's different? What in the world would be different about the people who took Jesus off the cross early so that they could keep the Passover and Moses keeping the Passover by faith that God commended him for it because he's now in chapter 11 of Hebrews. So faith, you have to say, well, what is faith? Is faith acting upon something? Is faith doing something? Is faith believing something? See, faith doesn't have anything in itself. Faith is nothing in itself. Faith is something rooted in something else. Faith is something rooted in something trustworthy. And so the idea that, that Moses had faith and kept the Passover, and kept the Passover just means ate it. That's all it is, to, take, to eat it. That's all kept means. You keep the Passover. Remember Jesus said, I desire to keep this with you before I suffered. It was the Passover meal that became the Lord's Supper. It was the Passover Seder that they enjoyed together that Jesus then said, this is my body broken for you and my blood shed for you. It was under the context of the Passover that Jesus showed himself to be the Passover lamb. And so to have faith means you must depend upon something true. And that must be something that God said. To have faith is based upon something that God said. God says something, and it's true as true. But that doesn't mean that I will have any, that it'll have any effect on me at all. What God said is true doesn't mean anything to me unless it means something to me. And if it means something to me and I have faith, then suddenly my life is different because I believed that what God said was true. There is an effect, you see. Faith is not itself. Faith has nothing in itself. You can't see faith. You can't see your own eyes. Faith is what you see out of to something that is seeable. And faith is something that you look at with dependent upon, based upon something that's true that God gave you eyes to see. So when it says, those with eyes to see, let them see, and those with ears to hear, let them hear, really seeing is not seeing and hearing. It's the idea that what God said is true, and that has something to do with me. And my life is different because of something God said. 
That is why Moses was commended. Moses was commended because he kept the Passover with faith and maybe weak understanding, maybe not full understanding. I don't have full understanding of what God is doing in this world. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me is made known, but I know whom I believed. There's just something about faith in in some way that it doesn't matter how weak it is because it's not based upon itself. It's based upon its, what it's rooted in. You can have faith like a mustard seed and move mountains. There is something that happened in my life based upon my faith in what God said was true that is unmistakable. To look at me and say, oh, well, he's good. Well, you don't know me real well. But to realize he's different That's not hard. I'm different. There is some change that has occurred based upon something that happened when God gave me eyes to see and I trusted what he said. So it is is an amazing thing that Moses was commended for simple trust in what he did. So the first thing that I wrote down I wrote down a a few points here that I kind of extracted from this one sentence. And that Moses was commended for his faith because he could see beforehand what everybody who was listening to this sermon was already able to see. So what, what was the effects from this verse? Let's go back to this verse. What was the effects of this verse that Moses, through his faith, could see that everyone listening to this sermon when it was preached the first time in the in the first century was able to already know because faith had become sight to them but was not sight to Moses. You are only commended when you are seeing things that can't be seen, when you are seeing something as true that everyone doesn't see as obvious. So I look and say, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So now you you project yourself to a room in the first century and Apollos or Paul or whomever the preacher of this, of this book was was preaching to a small congregation of people and he gets to d- chapter 11 and he said, lest though the destroyer of the firstborn should touch them. And everybody in the room had always, they'd all been to Sunday school. They knew that the destroyer had not touched them. That their family, that the people who were, had been slaves in Egypt, the moment that the death angel came and destroyed the Egyptians, did not destroy them. So these people were looking at it from this side, and it wasn't faith for them. They looked and saw it as history. That redemption history was, was clear and plain that the Jewish people got up and were free, that they were not destroyed, that the death angel did not come and take the firstborn as they did the Egyptians as they did the Pharaoh, as they did the Pharaoh's prisoners, as they did the Pharaoh's oarsmen on his boat. Everyone from one side of the country to the other was judged. The entire nation was judged. And all of his own people would have been judged, except that he told them something true, and that allowed them to simply put faith in what what God had said to them, and that faith made them whole. That faith protected them. That faith was something to hide behind. 
And it was true. It wasn't an imaginary figment of their imagination. It was something that actually protected them. So these first century Christians, looking back, were like, the, first, the firstborn were not destroyed. The killer of the firstborn did not touch them. But see, did Moses know it? Now you think about it. What was he told to do? He was told to put blood on the door. He was told to, to kill a lamb. He was told to take that lamb and observe that lamb and, and watch that lamb. Then he was to kill it on a very specific time, and the, the father of every home had to do it, and the father himself did something, and then that act was based upon what God had said. So you think, well, did God say, put the blood on the door, and Moses put the blood on the door, and Moses was commended? You could argue, yes, that that was the faith that he had. Moses was told to put the blood on the door. He did, and that was a reward in that nobody died. But in some ways, I think it has to go deeper because why did he put the blood on the door? He put the blood on the door lest the destroyer of the firstborn should destroy them. So he must have known something before understanding about the blood in order that he trusted that something was true. So as I preach the gospel to myself hundreds of times a day, I always start with God is righteous. God created this world. He is the one who determines how it's to be run, and he is righteous. And that is something that I have faith in. That is something that he said about himself that I have faith in. Now that faith has given me a root. So then when I think through the second thing, Brian, you are unrighteous. God is righteous. He will judge in righteousness. You are guilty. And I see that it's absolutely the truth. And logic simply tells me I must be destroyed. And then I tell the second part of faith that was based upon the first that God in his righteousness will judge in righteousness, but he in righteousness lived as my Savior. Then that gives me freedom because that faith was planted in the previous faith, the faith that God is righteous, that's true. Who thinks God is righteous? Who among the, the, the sons of Adam that live in this planet think that God is righteous? And if he thinks that God is righteous, what does that have to do with me? I can live as I please. God can be righteous and I can be as I please and we're all happy together. No. Faith is rooted in something God said about himself that somehow why I believe it, I don't know. God did something in me and I now believe that God is righteous and I believe that Jesus offered himself to me. So that is now something to hold on to and that faith is built upon the faith that Jesus lived on this world as the Son of God. And that faith is based upon that God is going to be judging all things. Why would Jesus die on the cross? It's because God will judge righteously. And he judged his people on that man. He judged him on the cross. God is just. And that statement of God's will be forever vindicated as the next thing that God gives his people is built upon the first thing. Then the second thing is built upon the second thing. And when God says, Jesus has offered himself to you, if you have eyes to see, see. If you have ears to hear, hear. But it will cost you everything. 
You have looked and saw a treasure in a field. And you have been eyes to see that that treasure is of infinite value and that you want it. He has given you a hunger and a desire to want it. And now you have a decision to make. What can I sell to buy that field? That's the decision you have to make. Because faith does, is not faith unless there is an action upon that faith. Moses was commended by his faith in what God had said that led him to do something based upon his belief. I have believed, therefore I have acted. That's from David's Psalms. I have believed, therefore I have spoken. I have believed, therefore I acted. Something happened that made me trust God, and that trust led to something different in my life than would have been there others. So my first statement was he was commended for his faith because he could see beforehand what we all are now able to see, and that's that the destroyer of the firstborn did not destroy his people. So I see that his faith resulted in the deliverance of his people, Okay, that's the one thing that his, that his faith was doing. But I truly don't believe, and I, I know there's many that would argue with me, I don't believe that God does anything for one reason. I think that God does what he's doing, and he has such a mind that everything he does accomplishes everything he wants to happen. He can make everything happen on what he decides. He doesn't need to do hundreds of millions of things to make a hundred million things happen. He does one thing, and that thing affects everything. And so two things I wrote down. There might be a billion I wrote down, too. God was using Moses' faith to do several things, is what I wrote. First, Moses' faith resulted in the deliverance of his people. God had promised to deliver his people. And the people had long ago forgotten that God was even interested in them. They had been slaves for so long. They had that their their drudgy life was so drudgy. They had long ago turned their knowledge of God into just a superstitious religion. If any even even thought about God, they didn't believe that He cared about them. My grandmother was a slave, and my grandmother's grandmother was a slave, and I'm a slave. We lived in a farm in Cabell County that was founded in 1826. And on that farm, there was a a slave cabin. And in the graveyard, there was the owner of of the farm, his wife, and not three inches from his wife's grave was a line of slave graves, maybe 10 graves. And it had just first names, and it said Hannah, slave of, had the owner's name. It had Rupert, slave of, and had the owner's name. And then it had infant, slave of, and had the infant's name. That infant was died on the day that she was born. And they buried her with a granite tombstone. Several feet away from where the master was going to be buried on this, in the same plot. But he, that grave said, slave of. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. It was a slave of from the moment they were born. And even though they only lived an hour, they were still the slave and property of somebody else. These people had long ago given up on God. But God had promised to deliver them. 
He had told Abraham, your people are going to be slaves for 400 years. And on the 430th year, on the day, on the anniversary of when God spoke to Abraham, these people pulled out free people. But 25 minutes earlier, they were screaming in the streets because God delivered his people through judgment on on their enemies and protected his people while they did it. So he delivered his people, but he also was securing his own promise to Abraham, I will deliver them and I will bring them out. So God vindicates himself. That is why you can have faith in what God says. When God says something, you truly can say, I believe it. He, he doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't lie. God can't lie at all. So, so at, the more I know about God, why would, else would we teach our children? We teach our children so that they are ready when they're given eyes to see that they have heard that this God is reliable and trustworthy, and they can see it in your life. They look at their parents, and they can see what God has done or not done to them. You're the one that's preaching to your children. You're the preacher. And that preaching is based upon something that God said. And you teach them that God is reliable, and then for themselves, they see that God is reliable. God has never let me down. I never got the pony that I thought I wanted, and I was mad at God for 40 years until I realized I didn't need a pony and that God has been faithful to me every moment of my life. That's what it is. So Moses was honored for his faith because it brought about a great deliverance for his people and it pointed to a greater Passover. The whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus. It's not about Moses. It's about Jesus. The Passover of Jesus Christ is what God was talking about in Exodus chapter 12. He was redeeming all things to himself through Christ. And all things includes those who will be rewarded with Christ's trophy. That is just flabbergasting. That all things would even include us who will be honored with what Christ merited in his own rewards. That That is an amazing. Okay? So, I'm going to go back to, to Exodus 6. Now, the, the ten plagues begin in Exodus 7. We just read from 12, which was the very end, right before the death of the firstborn. So 12 is right before that ultimate last plague, the death of the firstborn. So all the ten plagues start in, in, in 7, but at, in 6, God speaks to Moses. And I wrote this down because I think this is what Moses held on to. This was that first floor of faith that everything else was planted into that solidified and strengthened and made one thing more likely. Why is a Christian more likely to trust God than a non-Christian? Because it's just as hard for me to trust God as it is for someone who doesn't know God. It's because I'm more likely to trust him because what he has done has shown himself to be who he is. I have had experience with him. Everywhere that Abraham went, he named the place something based upon who God was to him. I experienced God in this way, so I'm going to call this mountain Jehovah-Jireh because God provided a ram instead of my son. And so I'm going to name this place, and my naming is based upon who God is. Not that God's changing. I'm simply opening up to who God is. So a believer is more likely to trust God because God has never let him down. 
And it does not matter what you have to believe him through. And God is going to make you go through hard things, scary things, things that no one should ever have to go through. But you are likely to trust God because what has God ever done except be faithful to you? I will trust him now. Is there anything in this situation that's different from I will be with you always to the end of the to the age? And when you can say no to yourself, then you can trust God for your daily bread. And you can trust God at the grave. You can trust God in the morning and at night. Because you know him. Because you know him. That's what it is. That is why we love each other and we stir each other up to love and good works. We remind each other what God has done. And we, we, we lift God up. We lift the cross up because as we treasure it, we point each other back to the only thing that they can depend upon. And that's what they have faith in. If you have faith in the wrong thing, you're going to be disappointed, I promise You can have all the faith in the world in something that's not trustworthy and it's not going to hold you. But to have faith, even a mustard seed faith, in something trustworthy is to be completely safe. What if if half of the people in this room doubt their salvation, but they're saved? And the other people in this room don't doubt their salvation at all, and they're saved. Are they all saved? That's all my question simply means. What is the difference between someone who is trusting with confidence and someone who is trusting with not full confidence is just that a person, we just read it, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is what happens when you know that you're not going to Mount Sinai, but that you're going to Mount Zion. You're going to the, with the innumerable company of angels and the assembly of the firstborn made righteous by Jesus the mediator of the covenant. It means that I have a sweet life. It doesn't mean that the people that are trembly and shaky are not going to be in bliss for eternity. They are. Because it's not their faith that's rewarded. It's what their faith is rooted in. And that's Jesus Christ exalted by God. That's why. It's what your faith is in. It's not your faith. You can't say, I watched a lady tell a lady in a wheelchair, if you had faith, ma'am, you could get out of that wheelchair. And I nearly fainted. What a cruel, awful thing to say. As though somehow it was the faith that's rewarded. It's the faith in God that's rewarded. It's God that's exalted. It's God that will be eternal. It's God that you can depend upon. It's not your shaky faith. It's not a Ouija board. It's not a a flight of your fancy. It has to do with what God has said, and God will do something in your life to give you such confidence in him that something changes in your life, and then you're rewarded for that. How are we rewarded for Christ's merits? Because God is honoring Jesus by allowing us to share his reward. Because the more that Christ has to share, the higher he is in everyone's mind. When I adore Christ and truly adore Christ, Christ is bigger than he was when he was master of the universe. How in the world can God use me to make his son even better? He can't. It is God's counsel. Who has given counsel to the Lord? We just sang that. Who? 
knows enough to say, God, you should do it this way or you should do it that way. God is the one who said of all of the plans and all of the possibility of the endless possibilities of God's power, I am going to send my son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law for, for Jesus' glory, not ours. So this is what Exodus 6 says. Wherefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you for me for a people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brings you. Do you see what I'm reading? God is saying, I'm going to deliver you. And Moses said, yes, sir. Then later he said, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to watch that lamb, and I want you to keep that lamb, and you're going to make sure it's perfect, and it must be perfect. It must be perfect. And only if it's perfect is it worthy to be the victim. Then all of the fathers in the entire nation at the same moment is going to kill it at twilight. And the boy, the, the oldest son is going to take the bowl with the blood, and you are going to take a, a plant out of, the, out of the backyard, and you are going to mark the doorpost and the lintel of the door on your own front door. Your faith is going to be lived out on the front door. And everybody you look down in your ghetto that you live in is doing the same thing and marking their door. And I tell you, you go in that door and do not come out for any reason. No reason do you come out. For no reason. Then I want you all in, and you're going to take that lamb, and you're going to roast it for hours, because you're not going to eat until the latest of late nights. And everybody is now in the, in the house, and all of the families together, and it's one of those kind of holiday things, and it's a party, but it's a nervous party. Everybody is not sure what's going to happen. And the kids are all running in circles and your uncle is telling his stupid jokes and everybody is working too hard and the too few are doing the most work, just like always. And that lamb is roasting and you're not allowed to boil it and you're not allowed to cook it in any way and you can't butcher it. And it has to be entire. That's what pertinence means. It's not like a dressed deer. Mm, a dressed deer. It's not like a dressed deer. That lamb was entire. It was skinned, and that's all. And it was roasted for hours and hours and hours until the late, late night. And everybody was sitting at the table dressed in their traveling clothes with their staff in their hand. And the previous day, God had said, mm, you, don't, you need to go ahead and pack up your kneading trough because you're not going to need any yeast. Just go ahead and make some unleavened bread. Just make, just make, I don't know if you've ever just had, no yeast, flour, water, cardboard, paste, cook it, see what happens. You can chew it, it's fine. It'll be all you can eat because you don't have time for it to let the bread rise. Okay, you just don't have time. So, uh, oh, by the way, you're going to be busy tomorrow, so why don't you go to all your neighbors and borrow anything you wish, anything you want, they'll give it to you. They're so disgusted with you now. They want you out so bad you've destroyed their nation. You can ask for anything and they'll give it to you. And they robbed their neighbors. And they were sitting there in that room 
with their traveling clothes on, sitting at the table, and the first screen in the street. And everyone just grabs each other. And then another, and there's there's running, and the doors are flimsy, and the walls are thin, and everyone's like, and breathing, and grabbing each other, and quiet, and staring each other down, and people are screaming, and people are running, and running, and banging on the door, and you're like, don't touch it, don't anybody touch it, don't move, everybody's just standing there, and I promise you we're safe, they were safe, they were safe. Because they weren't the only person that saw that blood. It wasn't just the neighbors that saw that blood. God said, this is my Passover. I am the one that's going to pass over your house when I see the blood. It was God. for That was Mark was for God. It was God who's to see the house. If I don't see the blood on my heart, as I've trusted the Lord Jesus, it still doesn't matter. I believe that I will see it. But it's God who counts. If God sees that I've trusted his son instead of my good works, instead of my family name, instead of my reputation, instead of anything else in the whole universe, I'm trusting my, my, his son because he said I could, then I am safe. And they did come to him in the middle of the night and said, get out, get out, get everybody out. You're destroying us. And, and they left. Now, I, the moment before they left, as they were sitting there with their shoes on, and the, everybody had to eat, that was another thing. Every person in the table had to eat. It didn't matter that you were 95 and had no teeth. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if the baby was six months old. If you had to chew that lamb for the baby and then hand the baby the chewed food, you did it because everybody had to eat. And, do you see, that's different than Noah. Noah went onto the boat and God shut the door. But Moses is beyond that, that little baby stage. Faith requires you to act. And your act does something. And that meant that I have to participate in this. That I had to myself plunge the knife. I had to myself capture the blood. I had to myself mark my door. I had to myself walk through that door and not open it for any reason. And then when they came, it's amazing as they were sitting there, the thought occurred to them, I'll never make a brick again. No one will ever beat me again. I'm free. I don't know if you can see at the same moment that that same moment of I'm free is the same moment as my neighbors were judged. It's the same instant. They, They walked out. In the middle of the night, that's why they had their shoes on. That's why they were already packed, because they were free. And because they were free, God said, this will be the very first day of the month to you. The first day of the month, the first day of the year. This will be New Year's Day, the day you were delivered. And for the rest of your life, your life started the day you were delivered. I was a zombie living in sin, chasing myself as far and as fast as I could go, hating God and hating others and being hated by them in return. And for whatever reason, God in his mercy saved my soul. And I've never been the same. And I'm not as good as I will be, but I've never been the same. 
and I love you. And we will work together, and we will walk to glory as long as it takes until each one of us have a funeral supper, and we'll be at each other's funeral supper until someone goes to ours, and then we'll meet in the, in the eternal, and there will be a dinner party like none other, and there will be no fear. Praise the Lord.